Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. You may be seated and fear the Lord. Last, last Wednesday night I taught from the subject on the core value of the church. Of course, uh, at the core or the center of everything we do as a church should be uh, reaching the lost with the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether, um, no matter what the, the umbrella may be that gathers us together or brings us together, I think that somehow, some way, in, in what we're doing, there needs to be a message of hope that shines forth. Whether, whether that is, is something as designed as a corporate worship service or if it is just times of fellowship and uh, things of that nature, we, we want God to just somehow shine through and pierce through the heart and the minds of people and let them see something in us, perhaps, uh, that would help break the chain of sin that, that tries to bind them. I, I just haven't been able to shake this particular subject, and I, I realize that, of course, souls is something that we ought to be thinking about every day, but there just seems to be another dimension of that pressed into my spirit, and it seems as though everything leads me back to this. And so tonight, I am unapologetically, but just informing you that we're going to talk about that again tonight. Amen. Souls. Souls. For the last several days, um, my, our daily Bible reading, our bread program has uh, taken us down a familiar path of the epistles. And uh, I'm, I'm constantly challenged by the Apostle Paul, not just, to, not just to be a better person, but I'm just challenged on so many, many fronts by his earnest desire to change and, uh, and impact and impress uh, the kingdom of God. Not only is the Apostle Paul fervently reaching for the lost, but I think as we consider the epistles, and, and we always need to remember that, that the epistles were written to the church, not how to get saved, but how to stay saved. And uh, how to get saved is found in Acts. But how to stay saved are letters that we find in the book uh, the, the books are, are the epistles, and so Paul begins those letters and, and says to the saints uh, of Ephesus and on and on. And so, so not only was Paul consumed with the idea of reaching people for the lost, but he also was equally consumed with discipling those that had come to the knowledge of the truth. And so I think it, it's one thing, of course, to to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. There's very few things in life that could ever take preeminence over that particular moment in our lives. And if there's anything that would outshine that moment, I realize I'm, I'm touching a sacred calf here right now for just a moment, but if there's anything that could outshine the moment 
of receiving the Holy Ghost would be living for God. Amen, because it gets sweeter as the days go by. There's nothing like that initial experience and it will forever be branded and marked upon our lives. But what really makes that moment meaningful is the fact that we continue to walk on with the Lord and live for him and discover something far more valuable than what we were ever able to comprehend or understand at that particular moment in time. And so to that end, I want to turn our attention to Romans 9. And uh, we're going to read verses 1, uh, verses 1, 2, and 3. The Bible says, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Now, this is not that Saul, Paul would rather just feel sorry for himself, but he said, For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for, for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. In verse number 2, Paul uh, we see, I think, one of the leading characteristics of his life, of his ministry, amen, that is, he said, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. I think there is no doubt in any mind here this evening that Paul was one of the all-time consummate soul winners of his day. He went everywhere, his life on the line, most literally, most times, um, his life on the line, propagating the gospel of Jesus Christ, preaching it at a great cost. And so when Paul refers to heaviness and sorrow of heart, it wasn't for the lack of things or material blessings in his life. Paul wasn't bemoaning the clothes that he had to wear or his social standing by any stretch of the imagination. But Paul was just simply saying that I bear in me a heaviness because he was a soul winner at heart what we would refer to as a soul winner, and he understood the lostness of mankind. Now, I, I know that many times that could almost be taken out of context as though you were seeming to judge someone's soul or someone's life, but I think that the Scripture gives us latitude to, to realize that you're going to know a, true, a tree by the fruit that it bears, and so it doesn't take a whole lot sometimes to observe a situation and realize that someone may not even know the Lord, or they may not know him in the fullest measure. And when you just realize the lostness of mankind. I remember many years ago in a conference, Brother L.P. Upton preached a message entitled The Lostness of Man. And as he just began to underline and emphasize the lostness of man, that word just sort of began to resonate in my spirit. And you begin to think about souls and lives in a completely different light. That for the, in, for the, in the truest sense, that many, many cases you may be the only Bible, at the risk of sounding cliche, you may be the only Bible that some people ever read, or you may be the closest association to the Word of God that some would ever come in contact until, of course, they are led further. And so Paul wasn't bemoaning his place or position in life, but he was just talking about the heaviness because Paul was a soul winner and he understood about mankind being lost. And so everywhere Paul went, he went preaching the gospel. He was, he was always telling someone about the kingdom of God. In the midst of everything he was doing, he had a passion for souls. Not someone that kind of got stirred up on Sunday and 
kind of died back down on Thursday or not someone that kind of got, uh, had a revival that served as a catalyst to fling them into the next few days of passion and excitement. But, but something in Paul uh, was there every day when he lay down, every night, every day when he woke up. Everything he was doing, he had a great passion for souls. Now this was not because Paul had no other teaching or it wasn't because he had no other area of strength or calling in his life because Paul was a great theologian. He was a very educated man, a very eloquent man. As a matter of fact, just most of the epistles as you begin to read them, uh, as he just opens his letter in his greetings, you find the eloquence of, of a man well-educated. He was a great preacher. He knew how to connect God and man. He knew how to bring heaven and earth together. And so he, he was not just passionate for souls because that just seemed to be one area or one vein of strength. He was a man well-versed. But above everything else Paul was, he was a man that walked around with a heart broken for the lostness of man or the lostness of souls. Of course, there's many things that I think would define or describe the heart of a man or a woman that has a passion for the lost, and I'm not here tonight to try to give some exhaustive list, but I think I would like to mention a few things that would denote people that have something about them, a passion for the lost. One of those things that I think prohibit people from witnessing and from being a witness is found in the, in the fact that too many people doubt their own walk with God. Amen. They doubt their own walk with God. And so you, you, if you doubt your own walk with the Lord, it's going to be very difficult for you to lead somebody else into a walk with God. And so I, I think uh, anyone that's truly used of the Lord has to have an assurance of your own salvation. Amen. I'm, I'm being very, very literal and very serious tonight. We, we must have a confidence in our own relationship with God because as it's been stated many, many times, you cannot lead someone where you have never been. And so we, we lack a confidence in our own relationship. The book of Daniel, uh, Daniel says in chapter 11, verse 32, that the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. People who know their God, their footing is sure. They are confident of one thing. I'm sure that most every one of us here tonight at some point or another have been in an argument when you knew you were right. I'm not talking about those arguments where you just always assume you're right. But I mean, you ever, you ever just, you know you're right? You know because you know because you know that you're right. Isn't that a comfortable place to be? Because everybody else can just be working themselves into a frenzy. But see, you know. You know. You know beyond the shadow of a doubt. And there's something about that confidence that doesn't allow your blood pressure to go zinging through the attic because you know. And so when, whenever who you're talking to, whenever they come down off their high or when they quit circling the house or quit running around the block, when they get home, the truth is still going to be the same because you know there's some confidence. I think some of you are thinking about literal arguments. I'm trying to make a spiritual point. Some of you are trying to figure out if my wife and I are fighting this afternoon. We are not, by the way. We are not, by the way. But when you know something, it brings a confidence. You're, you're, you don't have to argue this. I don't have to get down in the floor and roll around and wallow and make a fool of myself because I know, I know, I know, I know. 
And so when the Bible says the people that do know their God, they shall be strong and do exploits. And so anybody that desires to live a life and, and be used of God to the, to the measure that you can have an impact on the life of others, you've got to know something about your salvation beyond the shadow of a doubt. Amen. They themselves have got to know that they and that I am genuinely full of the Holy Ghost. Now, I realize that sounds, or this sounds somewhat trite, but if the enemy of our soul can just cast the slightest doubt in our minds about our own walk with God, then when we feel that unction to talk to somebody else, then we're gonna think, well, who am I? But, but who am I? Because I have this flaw or I have that flaw or I have that weakness or this weakness. And so that accusation alone can be enough to hinder us from being a mouthpiece for God. The Bible says of Satan that he is the accuser of the brethren. And can some of you good Bible saints tell me how often he's the accuser of the brethren? <laughs> night and day, night and day, night and day, night and day, lest any confidence build in our heart of our own relationship with God because when someone is confident of where you stand, confident of where you stand with God, then we can with that same confidence lead somebody else to a relationship with God. But if he can just stand before us and strip us of the courage that we need to be an effective worker in the kingdom, his job is done and done well. Amen. And so we have to shake that feeling of worthlessness in order to discover the call that God has upon our lives. And I believe that we all have a call of God on our lives. I know the, that word call and the word ministry, there's a few catchphrases that sometimes just disconnects, us, disconnects a large portion of, of many times that people that are in church because they feel like I'm not a preacher and I don't have a call and I'm not this. And, but I believe that we all have a ministry. I believe that we all have a call. I believe that beyond the, anything else, we all have a mandate to be a soul winner. Amen. We are, I believe all of us are called to be saints. We're called saints. In other words, there's a divine and a personal call to win others. I will say it one more time. We're not just saved. The Lord didn't save us just to save us, but he saved us to save others. Listen to Romans 1. Romans 1 and 1. Paul, the servant of Jesus Christ, this is what it says, called to be an apostle separated into the gospel of God. Paul was called to be an apostle, and a called apostle. Paul was called to the specific work we know of reaching the Gentile world. And so uh, as Paul began to move and operate in the call that was placed upon his life, and then Paul, we find later on in the book of Timothy, Paul urged Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. But I think I want, we need to be very clear right here that Paul was not commanding uh, Timothy to evangelize as we may define evangelism today. In other words, to go from place to place holding revival meetings. That was not what Paul was commanding Timothy to do. Paul was admonishing him to promote revival 
through soul winning, through growing the church, and through uh, propagating the gospel of Christ. Amen. Paul was admonishing him to provide and provoke, if you please, that kind of atmosphere. Timothy was to keep the, the fire of evangelism burning consistently. And so I don't believe that revival, I know that we talk about revival and revival meetings and we have one scheduled in just a few weeks here for our own church, but I don't think revival is something that comes and goes. But I believe that revival is a spirit, an attitude, a mindset of the church. And I believe that one of my responsibilities as a pastor of the church is to cultivate that spirit of revival. I don't want us to come here and go to sleep. I don't want us to come here and go through just a few songs and, and just a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and just kind of fold it all up and go home and X the night off of our calendar. But I want there to be something that provokes us and something that challenges us, something that prods us and reminds us that, that we have a call of God upon our lives. And so we've got to consistently stoke that fire. Amen. He was not set apart by God. Uh, Timothy was not set apart by God to do some gifted work of evangelizing. Amen. We know that Timothy did have a specific call upon his life. I think it is a call that all of us share in part. We find that in 2 Timothy 2 and 2. Timothy was called to teach. He was called to be a teacher. Amen. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2 and 2, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same, he said, this same thing, commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach it to others. Amen. So he said, I want you to take what you know. I want you to take what you have heard and learned from me and from others. And I want you to commit that into the heart, into the lives, into the hands of other faithful men. And then let them commit that same message into the hand of another and another and another. I'm thinking uh, many times when I read this passage of scripture about Ezra. What Bible, the Bible talks about Ezra as he stood at that wooden desk and he read from the word of God with six men on one side, seven men on another side, and 13 men scattered out through that congregation that as Ezra would read, they would repeat that word because they couldn't hear it from the front to the back and how that one man had the responsibility to repeat that word to another. He had to get that word and he had to commit that word into the heart of another and he had to commit that word into the heart of another. And so I say today to each succeeding generation, may we receive the word of God but don't let us think that we're the last ones in this line and that we can take all of this for ourselves and then become mute and blind to the ages or to this society or the world that we're living in but help us to realize the value of men and women around us, the value of souls, the value of taking what I know, the value of understanding what I understand. I may be limited and you may feel like that you're limited, but I want to take what I do know. I want to take what I can share and I want to share that with everybody that I possibly can. We find the call of God revealed in the lives of several people throughout scripture as a young man, Samuel, was called to do a special work. The same is true for Moses and Jeremiah and Isaiah and many, many others that, that, were, that, were, that were brought into the kingdom of God, some born into the kingdom of God with a call upon their life, as was the case of Samuel. However, with any call that's upon our lives, we must not just pray for the Lord to use us, but we also must pray and ask God to give us the boldness and the courage to speak out or to act out, to work through what God has called us to do. Amen. 
I remember specifically uh, one night that the Lord had laid upon my heart. I was praying with a man, and the Lord laid upon my heart something to tell that man. And I was very humbled that God would use me in that capacity. The problem was that I had prayed for God to use me in that capacity, but then I didn't pray and ask God to give me the boldness to carry it out. And so as I stood praying with this man, what the Lord had laid on my heart to tell him, I can I just be honest with you tonight? I just chickened out. I just completely froze. And I didn't know what to do because I felt like that God had given me a word, but then I got insecure about that word. Now, I'm just being honest. You can throw all the rocks you want. But I prayed that night when I got home and I said, Lord, if you'll give me one more at bat, if you'll give me just one more chance to the plate, if you'll let this situation repeat itself, I promise you, I need you to touch me and I need you to give me the courage. You gave me the word, but I forgot to ask the Lord for the courage. Amen. I hope you get what I'm saying in that. And so we must ask the Lord. And you know what? God was so kind. And God was so gracious. And what I thought was going to offend, what I thought was probably going to cost me tooth and nail, amen, as I began to speak, that man began to weep and cry, amen, because you see, it wasn't me doing the talking. It was God doing the talking. But I just wanted to share that with you tonight to tell you this. Don't just pray and ask God to use you, amen, but, and, and to lay something on your heart or to call you to something, but pray for courage and pray for boldness that when God moves that we've got the courage and the confidence in us and him to move forward. Is that all right? <clears throat> Praise God. So we need a holy boldness to touch us and, and when the lives of, of Peter and John were threatened, the Lord, through an angel, the Lord commanded them in Acts chapter five and verse number 20, this is what the angel of the Lord said, go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. Now, verse 20 doesn't mean anything to you right now. If we just kind of take uh, Acts 5 and 20 and pull it out and I just throw it up there on the screen, throw it out here at you, that doesn't mean a whole lot to you. But when you put that in context, amen, I'll just give you a homework assignment. Go home, read Acts 5 tonight. When you put that in context and you realize that, 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 uh, that Peter and John had just been thrown in jail for preaching the gospel, when you realize that an angel of the Lord had miraculously delivered them out of that said prison and now the angel stands there and says, I mean, they still got handcuff marks on their ankles. They still got stocks and chain marks on their ankles and their wrists. And the angel says, now go stand and speak. Amen. I say, Lord, help us tonight to realize that God has got to give us some courage. And God has got to give us some boldness. Not just a message. <laughs> but, oh, God, give us the ability to proclaim that message to a lost and dying world. Amen. They sound and appear as fearless is Jeremiah when he stood at the temple gate and cried out. Listen to what the scripture records. Jeremiah 7 and 3. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Trust ye not in lying words, saith the temple of the Lord, saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. For if ye... 
if you truly amend your ways and your doings, if you truly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you oppose not the stranger, the fatherless and the widow, and shed not innocent blood in this place, neither walk after other gods to your hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after other gods whom you knew not, and come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name and say, we are delivered to do these abominations? I mean, Jeremiah gets up and, and he just calls a meeting and he calls everybody's attention and he just begins to preach it. Amen, we had say it in 2014. He just began to preach it like it was. It was right where the rubber hit the road. Amen, I say, Lord, today, help us to have some anointed pulpits. Amen, and so somebody that'll stand behind these pulpits. Amen, not with a chip on their shoulder, not with a chip on their shoulder, but I say, Lord, let them stand with a brand of fire in their heart and preach the infallible word of God. Speak it like it is. Amen, I say, Lord, preach to us today. My, 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 haven't we heard some preaching around here in the last few services? Amen, anointed. The anointing of God has been upon the men and the ministry of this church. And I say thank you, Lord, for men who will not stand shamefaced and bashful, but oh, they realize that eternity is in the balance. And not only does a sinner need salvation, but the church needs to be shaken. And we need to be awakened and thrown off of top dead sinner. We need God in our midst. Amen. That was a powerful message for Jeremiah to deliver. It took courage, but thank God he had it. Paul displays that same kind of courage when he, when he refused, even before the governor called Felix to change his message. Amen. He didn't change it for social status. He didn't change it because of who's who. But Paul just preached the word of God. And the Bible teaches us in the 24th chapter of Acts that he reasoned so earnestly of righteousness and temperance and judgment to come that Felix the governor trembled under the fervent message of the apostle Paul. Are you hearing me today? Can I just say it this way, that Paul was at Tallahassee. Amen, he had the attention of the governor. He was standing there with all the who's who of the state of Florida, but he didn't back down. He just began to preach the word of God, and the scripture uses the word reason, that he reasoned so earnestly about righteousness and about temperance and about judgment to come that the governor, the governor trembled under his fervent message, and I say, God, help us to realize that when we're talking about souls, we're not just talking about the homeless in the gutters of drug addiction. We're not just talking about those whose lives have run aground. And we're not just talking about men and women who may be in jail or in prison or here or there, but all the way from there to the governor's palace. I say, God, give us a holy courage and a boldness to realize that every soul counts. Every soul counts. And so as a servant of the Lord, we gotta be faithful and faithful to God and faithful to the message. <laughs> faithful to the message. Faithful to the message. I'm gonna tell you, I'm glad they didn't compromise before I was born. Amen. Amen. <laughs> 
I'm just going to say it again. I feel a holy courage on me tonight. I'm glad they didn't compromise before I was born. I'm glad they didn't compromise while I was growing up. I can tell you tonight that I, I, I'm not alone when I say this. I got a few scars and bumps and bruises and, and I had a few rough patches along the way and sometimes I didn't think it needed to be quite as mean-spirited as it was. I see some of you shaking your head. But I'm glad nobody compromised along the way. Because I'd rather, I'd rather bear the wounds of somebody that was a little too rough than to bear the, the tragedy of somebody saying that's not important. That's not important. Amen. Are you hearing me? Some, some of you are a little afraid to amen because you think I'm fixing to ask you for a ball bat to hit you with. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm saying, God, help us. Amen. I'm not talking about being unkind and, and ignorant. But I say, Lord, thank you for the value of somebody that can feel the anointing of God and the courage of God to stand and declare the infallible truths of his word. Why? Because souls matter. I'm not just talking about lost souls, but your soul matters. My soul matters. I, I, it's not enough just to get the Holy Ghost. I gotta keep the Holy Ghost. It's not enough just to start living for God. I gotta keep living for God. And so I'm preaching tonight. I'm preaching tonight. I'm preaching because there's a value of souls in this house. And so don't just get saved, but stay saved. Don't just start out right, but keep living right. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mm. So I say, God, help me to be faithful to the message. Help me to be faithful to the message. If you want to pray for me, I would ask you to pray for me that I will stay faithful to the message, that I'll stay true to the message. Hallelujah. Oh, God, let my pastor stay apostolic. Amen. God, let my pastor say holiness. Amen. Let my pastor say oneness. Let my pastor keep his feet on the rock. Let my pastor stay in relationship with the altar. Let my pastor stay in relationship with you, oh God. Let him stay in relationship with you. Why? Because our souls matter. Our souls matter. Souls matter. Amen. I don't ever want this to be about entertainment. This needs to be about church. Amen. If we find some entertainment value along the way, so be it. But it ought to be about church. I want to come to church for the word of God, not just through the preaching, but the word of God that comes through every venue and ministry of the church. Amen, we need to do so because people are lost and souls are in the balance. Paul was preaching to please God, not to please men. And you know, when it's all said and done, nobody walks a thinner line than me in this house, in this church, because I am the pastor. But nobody walks a thinner line about this than me simply by default. But I gotta please God and not you. Amen, does that make sense? I say that in love and kindness. But when I lay down tonight, if I think every one of you are mad enough at me to burn me at the stake, but if I think God is okay with me, then I can rest 
But if I go home, if I go home and every one of you feel like you got to hug my neck and kiss me on the forehead before you can get in your car and leave, but I lay down and I feel like God is offended at me. I have got problems on my hand, friend. I got trouble on my hand. And so I say, Lord, help me to stand and be pleasing in your sight. Help me, oh Lord, to be pleasing in your sight. Paul was not preaching to please men. He was preaching to please God and his cry was emphatic when he said, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. I realize that I mentioned this last week but I cannot overstate the fact that we must be people of prayer. Anyone used of God must live lives of prayer. Amen. Not just prayer at mealtime, not just a few minutes before going to bed, but a person that God uses is going to take the time to be shut in with God in seasons of unhurried prayer where God can not only listen, but God can speak. And so we have to wait on the Lord to receive power from Him. As well worn as this message may be this evening, please understand me. These are essential things. You know, I, I get amused and, and I could stand to lose some weight so I'm not throwing rocks at anybody. But you, you see all these plans and programs here and it, there's always a footnote that says if you drink this along with exercise and, and, and proper eating. And if you take this along with exercise and proper eating, well, if you eat rocks with proper diet and exercise, you're bound to lose weight. So what I'm getting at is I'm not saying that none of these products work. But what I'm saying is it's got to be joined with something. There's some things that never change. I may have picked a very bad illustration. Apparently I, <laughs> apparently I did. I, we're back to that being burned at the stake part again, I think. All of a sudden we went back in time. What I'm getting at is there's some things that just you, these are just essentials. You can't deviate from that because it takes this and other things, but you've got to have this. And so when we're talking about prayer, you, I hope you never, ever stop hearing people talk about prayer because prayer is an essential aspect. Amen. And, and then in, in addition to prayer, we've got to have a love for the Word of God, not just, not just a like, an appreciation, a tolerance. We need a love, a love for the Word of God. John 15 and 7, of my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done. But that word's got to be abiding, abiding in us. Amen. The Lord told Ezekiel, the angel of the Lord told Ezekiel to eat, to devour, to consume the word. I think there's a powerful message there. Acts, if we're used of God, then we've got to be led of the Spirit. Acts 1 and 8, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and all Judea in Samaria and in the uttermost parts of the earth. Romans 8 and 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And so we must know the Spirit of God. The only way we can do this is by complete surrender and being willing to do what God would have us to do. We've got to be diligent about getting rid of other things in our life, anything, anything that would hinder my walk with God. I'm going, to share, I'm going to share something with you. Don't ask me the name of the book. It's not relevant. But I was reading, I, I was reading a book the other day. I saw the title and, and there's something about the title of the book. 
And it, it was, a, for all intent and purposes, a Christian book, I suppose. But the title of the book kind of captured my attention. And, and so I downloaded it on my iPad and I began to read that. And that was just almost like a depressing spirit. I'm, I'm going to lose some of you right here. So, oh, Lord, here he goes. And I just felt like, I just almost felt like something was getting on me. And I thought, you know what? I don't know what's going on here, but this book's not worth that. I, I don't know what message they're trying to convey. And maybe there's a greater point at the end, but I didn't feel like walking through that. And so you may think I'm being really ridiculous here, but you see, I didn't want something in my spirit or something in my mind that I'm later going to have to pray out. Amen. And get rid of. And get, get trampled through. You know, I, it's just you men probably understand this. It's just almost impossible to find work boots that don't, uh, understandably so, that are not somewhat cleated on the bottom of them. But I try, to, I try and shop as hard as I can to find work boots that don't have all that because invariably, invariably, I bring a little bit of where I've been into where I live. <clears throat> And when Justin was at home, it was, it was a little easier to get out of it. <laughs> but nowadays, nowadays, it's just a little harder to deny some of that stuff. And so what I'm saying is I, where you've been has a tendency to come home with you. And now if you don't want to live in that, and we don't want to live in that, we don't want that sand and grid on everything, so we've got to sweep it all up. And so that's what I'm saying. I've got to be diligent about getting rid of anything in my life that I don't want to have to sweep up and sweep out later. And that's my point. I mean, I may have went around the bush there to do that, but I want to cut every tie that would keep me from surrendering to the will of God. The Spirit of God must lead me if I'm going to be kingdom-minded and soul-minded. Amen. At, at the risk of sounding unrealistic, there needs to be an awareness of the lostness of mankind. Knowing this, the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5 and 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. You see, I'm, I'm, I'm going to meddle here for just a few minutes, but it won't last long, I don't think. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. We're living in an hour where the Lord is just so sweet and syrupy and, and just nothing but blessings and just you just do this and, oh, my goodness, alive. You should never be sick. You should never be broke. You should never have a bad day. It should never rain over your house. But Paul said that you need to know the terror. And when you know the terror of the Lord, with that terror you can persuade men. Amen. We are made manifest unto God and trust also the manifest in our consciousness. Amen. We need to understand not just the love of God, but the judgment of God. I don't just need to understand the love of God, but I need to understand, I need to understand the wrath of God. I'm going to tell you, friend, you've never been sat down until God sets you down. You've never been put in your place until God puts you in your place. I'm preaching to some who's been there. Maybe some don't understand what I'm talking about, but I'm telling you that when God says it's enough and when God puts his hand on your life and you realize that holy terror and that fear 
and I'll say it one more time, we often unwittingly think about how sweet it would be if the Lord just manifest himself. If he were just to walk in this building here tonight, I'm going to tell you that might not be as pleasant of an experience as you would think it would be because when utter righteousness and utter holiness walked in to our frailty and our fractures, all of our sin and all of our failure and all of our shortcomings would be revealed. And so when we know the terror of the Lord, you can persuade men, amen, when you say it's not always going to be grace. It's not always going to be mercy, but judgment is coming. And with the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But you have to believe that sin is a reality. We have to believe that hell is a reality. And I often wonder, and I say this uncynically, I mean this from the purest of spirits tonight, I often wonder if some people really do believe that hell is a reality. I don't say that to sound unkind. And several months ago, I posed a question and I probably offended a few. I wasn't trying to do that and I'm not trying to do it again tonight, but I'm just gonna ask you a simple question. Non-judgmentally, I just want this to jar your center of thinking. When is the last time that you attended a funeral that whoever was in that box was not just ushered into heaven, but given a front row seat? When's the last time? And I'm not advocating. I'm going to tell you, i got better sense. I don't have a whole lot of sense, but i got better sense to get up and do something stupid in a moment like that. There's too many people there to consider and think about. I'm not the judge, and we all get that. But I'm talking about no matter what somebody lives like, no matter what they do, no matter what they've done, I'm going to tell you the tragedy is not to the man or the woman in the box. The tragedy is to the generations that are sitting on those pews that think, hey, if Uncle Joe's all right, if Aunt Sally's all right, if old Ben's all right, if old Alice is all right, I got no worries. Because nobody thinks about the wrath of God. It's getting a little tight in here. Amen, but nobody thinks about the wrath of God. I'm not trying to be rude or, 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 or contrary, but I'm telling you that, amen, the scripture talks about a narrow way and the scripture talks about a wide path. I mean, that's what the scripture declares. I mean, it says, few there be that find that narrow path. But then that not only talks about hell, but the Bible says that hell has enlarged her mouth without measure. I say, God, help us tonight, the church, to realize that when we understand the wrath of God and when we understand one day, hear me tonight, I know I've illustrated this many, many times in 25 years, but bear with me. In the, in the book of Luke, I believe it is, whenever Jesus come out of the wilderness, of 40 days and 40 nights of prayer and fasting when he came he, he took the book they were reading from the book of Isaiah and he took the book from them am I, in, am I right about that he took the book from them and began to read and then something very very powerful happens right here the Bible says that he handed the book back to them amen the hand hear me tonight of the Lord put this book all 66 books of truth into the hand of the ministry but there is coming a day that God is going to reach down and Brother Hall, he's going to take that book back from the hands of the ministry and from this book, he's going to judge mankind. And so I say tonight, oh God, help us, help us, help us, help us to realize that one of these days, this same book that has brought us so much grace is going to bring judgment. Judgment. 
Oh, I think we ought to stand. I feel the presence of the Lord in this house. Oh, let's pray, church. I think we ought to pray. I think we ought to pray. God, help us to realize the power of your word, the fervor and the fire of your word. Stir our hearts. Prick our spirit tonight, Jesus. Oh, God, stir up, stir up something in us tonight. In the name of the Lord God. In the name of the Lord God. In the name of the Lord God. Amen. Our musicians come. Please just continue to pray. Amen. Let's speak to the Lord. Amen. I love you, Jesus. 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 God help us. 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 Amen. God help us. I'm not just worrying about what's being born in the heart of, of, of the world. I'm worried about what's being born in the heart of the church. What's being born in our heart? Kind of a cavalier, quesera, sirrah. Whatever will be, will be. When there needs to be a brand of fire, a brand of fire about us. Amen. If you really believed that hell was true and real, and hell was a place to be shunned, heaven was a place to be gained. I think it may change how we walk, how we talk, how we live. Amen. Very, very recently, and I know you're standing. I'll hasten here. Very recently, I, I was, well, recently, it was a camp meeting, but uh, I was given an old picture, an old picture, I think, 1958, a conference, a conference being held down in uh, Homosassa. And... Uh, this picture was given to me by, some of you will remember, Jimmy Beck, Brother David Beck's son. In this picture, a part of that picture, Brother David Beck is, is seated among those that were in attendance at that conference. And that, that picture alone has just brought up several memories and conversations. And I can, I can appreciate the fact that I'm talking to 2% of you. But if you, the other 98% would just kind of hang in here with me for just a moment. But I can remember as a child, and you may think I'm just reminiscing, but I, I can remember as a child when Brother David Beck would come and preach for my grandfather. And, and back then we had church on Saturday night as well as Sunday morning and, and Sunday night. And, uh, and I, I can remember, and some of you can relate to this, that I was just a teenager, but I can remember Brother Beck preaching the coming of the Lord so strong. I've told Justin this in recent days, in recent weeks, certainly. We talked about this, that as, as a teenager, I was surprised that the sun came up Sunday. I'm not just saying that to have something to say. You're talking about preaching hell's hot, you can smell the smoke. I'm worried, I'm worried. Not, I'm not just worried about where the world is, I'm worried about where the church is. In our effort to, to be accommodating, 
May we find true balance. May we find true balance. Souls are, are valuable. And, and, and I'll tell you how valuable souls are. They're so valuable that when they come through the door, we can't lower our standard to accommodate them. That's how valuable their soul is. Their soul is so valuable that when they get here, we've got to preach, thus saith the word of God. You know why? Because their soul is valuable. Their soul is valuable. And nothing's going to matter but going to heaven. Nothing's going to matter. I'm not trying to sound like an old cynical preacher here, but I've held the hand of too many dying people that were not worried about the price of gas or not worried about what kind of car was in their garage, not worried about what clothes were hanging in their closet. They were thinking about one thing, and that was eternity, 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 eternity. And souls are too valuable for us to start playing church now. Jesus, Jesus said this in John 3 and 5. Verily, verily, I say, not just hearsay, maybe so, but the Lord said, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's not what I said. That's not the position of Hatsman Apostolic Church. That's not the position of the United Pentecostal Church International. That is the position of the one and only Jesus Christ himself. Amen. Amen. And so every time I preach on eternity, I'm condemned in my soul because if we really believe that souls are going to hell forever and ever and ever and we don't do everything within our power to do something about that, we are going to have to give an account. Amen. Souls are lost. What an awful thing. In Matthew 25, 46, Jesus said, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment. That's what Jesus said. Everlasting punishment. But the righteous into everlasting life, eternal. And, and the Lord means what he says. That Ephesians 2 and 7, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. What I wanted out of that was this phrase, that in the ages to come, that passage tells me that there are some ages to come. That's a long time. That's eternity in the ages to come. So that means that I'm going to live forever somewhere, somewhere, somewhere. Amen. But we're preaching that message today to disconnected people that claim to have the Holy Ghost. We're going to live forever somewhere. And while we're talking about living forever somewhere, people wondering if we're going to get out of church in time to get to the restaurant before it closes or... What are we going to do tomorrow? What are we going to do later when eternity, our souls are in the balance? Souls are in the balance. There are multitudes of people all over the world who want somebody to love them enough to lead them to the Lord. You know, there's an old song. I'm not suggesting we try to learn it right now. Uh, and, uh, but there, there, there's an old song that says, You never mentioned Jesus to me. You helped me not the light to see. Though you knew I was astray. Somebody help me. Though you knew I was astray, you never mentioned Jesus to me. You never mentioned Jesus to me. Can you imagine? Somebody, I don't, we don't know how eternity is going to play out. Can you imagine somebody saying that to you? You work beside me every day and you never 
mention Jesus. You helped me not the light to see. Though you knew I was astray. Though you met me day by day. And you knew I was astray. You never mentioned Jesus to me. Amen. I think we ought to just close right here. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.